Good morning, this is uh, Bavango's first podcast of the season um, and today I am joined by Aaron Morley, Senior Relationship Manager here at uh, Bavango. Good morning Aaron. Good morning, Brian, how are yeah, you? I'm good, thank you very much, how are you? Very well, thank you. Cool, okay, so let's start off with um, just some basic stuff about Bavango, this is the first time we've done this. Um, can you give me a bit of insight on who Pavalgo are, what we do? Sure thing. So, um, Pavalgo are a deliverable foreign exchange business. Um, we pride ourselves on being probably one of the most exciting, um, ambitious and fast-growing fintechs um, in the recent years. Uh, we help private clients um, execute foreign currency trades or payments when they'll be buying a property abroad getting rid of assets abroad. Um, so we focus on providing them better rates of exchange and um, more uh, service. And we also then have a corporate division which specialises in helping uh, mitigate foreign exchange risks from sort of SME businesses all the way up to large PLCs. Um, so we, we've been around since 2018 now okay. um, and been on a, a significant um, growth journey and already as a business we are about 40, 40 people strong and growing year on year. So it's been exciting so far and we're looking to sort of disrupt the market even more moving okay. forward. And you've been with the guys since the very, very beginning? Yeah, since the very beginning. So um, I was fortunate enough to be invited across um, to Prevalgo before even the inception when it was just an idea stage and we were sort of brainstorming whether or not um, we should go into the market and where we saw the growth potentials from a business point of view and how we could enhance client services and really um, benefit the end customers. Um, so our, that was back in 2017 and then we actually went live in October, November 2018. Okay, so how long have you been in the industry yourself? Uh, joined the industry um, pretty fresh and sort of bushy tail back in 2014. So I've been in the industry um, for some time now, so a bit of a heritage, about eight or nine years in the industry now. Okay, and where were you before Bavalgo? So before Pavelgo, I worked with um, a lot of the founding um, board and um, team of Pavelgo at a company called Global Reach Partners. Um, I joined there when uh, the business was relatively small, about 30 or 40 people within that business. And then through my five years at that company, we went on a really, really great journey and grew the business to about 200 people. And I'd probably say one of the highest performing and largest um, corporate FX brokers. Okay. Um, but then in sort of 2017, we went through, or 2016, sorry, we went through a management buyout for a private equity business, um, which saw the founding team and sort of a lot of the mentors I looked up to and sort of guided me on my journey um, to part of the business. And um, I think within the foreign exchange industry, it's a lot about the people within the business. That's what makes it. And when they left, I decided to depart the business alongside them and look uh, for new opportunities. Okay, so let's talk in a bit more detail about your career. You started with um, your previous firm. You, you obviously were in a, started in a relationship manager role. How, how did that pan out? What, what, what did that look like for you? Well, so my, my first role wasn't actually in um, foreign exchange. So I left school at 16, and um, that was when, back in 2013, there was a big, big surge and push from the government about the new apprenticeship schemes okay. that are coming out. Um, so I actually started and got an apprenticeship at a small boutique private equity firm that worked with um, sort of early stage uh, investments into early stage businesses. Um, so I started there and did an apprenticeship for about 13, 14 months. Um, now as, as a younger person within the private equity industry, 
it's quite a slow paced industry to be in. Um, so I went to try and explore some faster paced industries where I could disrupt and it would came down to myself and having the own um, ability to progress through as well as I could if I performed well enough. And foreign exchange was one that stuck out really well. Um, so when I joined um, Global Reach for moving across from the private equity business, I started out as a sales executive. So that was um, reaching out to new businesses, financial directors, CFOs, CEOs, and introducing um, Global Reach or our business and how we could potentially help help them and then um, pass it across to uh, the currency consultants. Okay, so it's a, it's been quite a long journey you've been on then. Um, even at a young age, you seem to have mass experience. Um, look, looking back from when you started, did you think you'd be where you are now? Because you're obviously a very well-respected member of the team, um, very well-respected member of the business in general. Um, is that where you thought you'd be at this stage? Is this the direction you actually wanted to take or did you want to go a different route? No, definitely. I think um, when I joined uh, the foreign exchange industry, it gave... Um, it gives everyone a really good opportunity from client side and being an employee of um, a foreign exchange business. There's there's a lot of opportunity, and um, when you uh, strive to perform really well in your job role, um, and that means do the right things by the customers all of the time, and really demonstrate value and add value to businesses. I saw there was a great potential for me to maintain relationships and progress through. Um, sort of job roles that are in front of me so really happy where I am now um, really happy with the journey and what it's looked like um, it all seems to sort of merge very quickly together but um, there's been significant milestones throughout this and um, I'm definitely where I wanted to be uh, if I look back and sort of put a timeline where I, where I wanted to aim to be in the job role Okay, now you mentioned earlier on about um, mentors that yeah. you, you've come across uh, through your time do you want to um, talk through those sort of mentor roles? Have there been roles that you've actively gone out and sought or then sort of landed on your lap, as it were? Um, well, when, when I first, I never knew the importance of having sort of mentors within um, job roles or within business before. Um, so they sort of landed or just took place. Um, but one of the, the biggest mentors throughout my career and, and um, personally is um, Stuart Blake, who is our chairman. Um, he really helped shape um, my career in terms of what good looked like, how we could progress, um, how to sort of be a business leader, not just a salesperson, and how to ensure I manage um, all aspects of delivering foreign exchange solutions to corporates um, correctly all of the time. So he's, he's been a really big figure. Um, and then leading into Provalgo, um, he's the chairman, but at Provalgo, a more proactive um, day-to-day mentor that I have now would be um, my, my two or the leaders of the business but singling out um, Dan Biggs and Matt Clark who um, help me day to day and making sure I do the right things and also challenge me when I'm not doing the right things which is really important to be honest with each other in those situations. Okay so the, the challenging thing is quite interesting because obviously there's a, a an idea that the business has got to achieve certain things. Um, when you talk about challenging you, is it challenging you to, to deliver a better service to clients? Is it a case of challenging you to just be better in yourself? How, how do you define that? I think yeah, one of the uh, reasons I feel Bravalgo has grown so aggressively and quickly, and if you probably called up or spoke to um, our clients, they would all speak very highly of us. 
And the reason I think we achieve that is because we all challenge each other to be better. We challenge each other's thought process. So even if we do agree that this is a certain way a service should work and this is how we should be working with a client, we still use each other's soundboards and challenge the idea just to ensure that when we do go to speak to the client, so we go externally, we're in the right place to ensure that we've fought through every potential outcome and we're delivering the right solution. So okay. I think when businesses, we speak to our CFOs or corporates, that's why I specialise in managing sort of portfolio corporate clients only. Um, when I go out to them, at that point, the, the conversation's already taken place so much and so often in the business that it seems really succinct but it's actually been a long process to get to that that end solution so i think that's why why we're doing very well at the business okay all right so you're on the front line of the company and obviously you you've been responsible for helping build the company from zero to where we are at the moment um you must meet daily frustrations with regards to um, protocol process clients um, what sort of frustrations are the main ones that really sort of get to you on a daily basis? So I think um, the hardest part, and this has been since I started from being a cold caller all the way up to um, um, the relationship management role, the hardest point is getting the opportunity to show clients how you are different and why you're not just an FX broker. Okay. I think the industry has got so much um, limelight and growth in the last sort of 10 years. It's a relatively new industry, third party providers. I think because of that growth and the opportunity, there's so many people in it doing a bad job. It almost makes it harder to get the opportunity to show them why foreign exchange brokers can be really, really valuable to any business. But it's really hard to show that because you get shut off and put in a box almost that you're just one of many. And yeah. that, that's a daily frustration that's probably going on for the last eight years for me okay. and everyone else in the industry. Yeah, I can understand it if people are implying that we're the same as everybody else. Um, do you, do you take that personally when you're because of your relationship with the business? Is that something you take personally from clients? Uh, I don't take it personally because I, I do understand um, as an FD, foreign exchange typically is a byproduct. So if, if all companies could avoid the need to purchase other currencies and work on one currency uh, businesses, then I, I understand that they would do that. So I don't take it personally, but I do take it as a real big challenge to show how Provalgo are really different and um, I'm really passionate to show that we are really different and we can uh, separate away from the rest of the market if, if given the opportunity. So okay. uh, it's, a, it's more a challenge than the frustration. Okay, all right. Now obviously in the last 18 months we've been through, well the country's been through a very turbulent time, um, lack of direction possibly, there's been lots of businesses that have been struggling. Now Provalgo's actually been one of the companies that you can probably highlight is actually done really well through this period. Um, and it's a bit of a Schrodinger's cat situation where we don't know what would have happened if we hadn't have had COVID, but we've obviously seen great growth. Um, being the senior that you are in the industry, um, what's the biggest overall change you've seen in the last 18 months, whether it be how we're working, structure, um, the type of feedback you've had from clients, troubles that we've had to deal with, what, what, what's, what's been the biggest that you've seen? So I think we're, um, we got pretty fortunate um, or planned it. I don't think we ever expected the pandemic to happen, but as a business, we pride ourselves on sort of bridging the gap between fintech and service-driven businesses. Okay. Typically in the industry, you have to pick, either you have a really slick fintech platform that can work anywhere in the world and 
you can do remote working as well from an infrastructure point of view, or you have to pick an older legacy business with um, poor tech, but you can pick up the phone and speak to them. Mm -hmm. But because we built um, Best of Both Worlds and bridged that gap, what we actually got the opportunities to do is um, pick up our workstations, which are on laptops, and plug in at home, and there was near enough no disruption for any client, and the service levels were the same, the tech was all cloud-based, so it didn't matter where we were in the country, we could, we could service and honour the same levels that we had if we would all be working in the office. Um, so I think we were fortunate in that position. I think the reason we succeeded very well and got the opportunity to succeed is as a business, we run a very, very flat sort of structure, a hierarchy. So what that meant is everyone in the business, there wasn't, we weren't looking up to one leader and going, who's going to tell us if everything's going to be okay or not during the pandemic, we all stood up individually and said, we're going to honor it for a really challenging time, having um, tough conversations with clients that were struggling because of their businesses are being flipped on their head. And we made sure we were there, even if it wasn't for generating revenue or doing transactions together, we were there as a soundboard and advice, giving them some insights of other clients within the, the same industry as to how they are managing it. So I think we, we came out of it um, very well from a growth point of view, but also we came out of it very honest and truthful to ourselves that we'd done everything we can to um, make sure clients rode out the industry or rode out the sort of pandemic wave as well as they could really. Okay. And as, a, as an employer, as um, what sort of level of support did you receive through working from home and so on and so forth? Was that, was that something that was... So, yeah, we got um, one of the... the Business, I think even when clients come into the office prior to the pandemic and now uh, everyone would say they can feel the sort of family uh, feel of the whole business and how we're all very close-knit team. Um, so we got a lot of support. Everyone is just a phone call away in teams. We did some rather questionable sort of virtual teams night, which were um, <laughs> interesting to say the least. I never thought, thought I'd do a virtual quiz with someone presenting from their own home, but they were fun and we managed to get together and make the best of the situation. And I think because we are so um, happy internally as a team, we managed to put that into our clients and externally show that we are there for support and we're also there to make the best of the situation and um, make sure that everyone's in the right place. Okay, now you mentioned sort of family. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that a way that this is, do you think that's part of the success of the way we've grown? In the fact that it's it, it is that sort of you're joining your family. You're not. It's, it's not a job. It's not a role. It's actually being part of something bigger. Yeah. So uh, the journey is always always uh, one of the biggest things I talk about with a customer. And when they decide to um, join or partner up with Prevalgo for their currency needs, they are joining the family as well. The clients are. And I think one of the biggest things we've seen in the move in the market was a lot of the banks started buying up our competitors, private equity got involved and all the sort of founders that were leading the business and had that family feel, it's basically got ripped apart. And okay. that's a really good opportunity for us, one for learning to, so we know it doesn't, we don't think it works that well when you go to a place where you, you remove the people that are uh, culturally making it all slot together. When you remove that, you've actually got very little left. So. Um, as a business, we are making sure that everyone internally is put first over um, the balance sheet or EBITDA or all those types of things. We make sure it's family first. Okay. And I think if you spoke to anyone in the business, they get treated in the same respect. 
whether they are just starting out into their first month in foreign exchange or whether you're speaking to the CEO. Yeah. So I think that's a, a really um, important point of Prevalgo. Okay, but we've got to a point that I wanted to talk to you about, about mentorship. Obviously, you've been through a, a situation where you've received great mentorship and leadership from people in the business and people um, that you've, you've met over the years. Um, do you think that's something that you see yourself being more involved with, with newer members of the business? Definitely. I think um, we, we uh, launched an initiative called the Academy about six months ago. We, yep. we um, enrolled our first Academy, which is giving recent sort of school leaders, um, undergraduates, first first jobs an opportunity to join the foreign foreign exchange industry and also Prevalgo. And the reason I think that's a really, really great initiative is firstly, we're not just um, starting the academy and saying we want lots of people coming in to do big cold callers. We're introducing them to the whole industry, upskilling them, training them, and then that we, we're letting them find their feet where they're most comfortable, whether that be sales, settlements, compliance, whatever it may be they've got an opportunity to sort of establish themselves within those departments in the business. And I think with that, I'm now exposing myself to a lot more uh, mentorship uh, roles. Before I always looked up to my mentors and now the business, as we're adding more and more people, I mean, when I, when I joined, there was six of us, seven of us, there's now 40 odd. So obviously with that comes mentorship and responsibility to make sure everyone feels that they can talk to me, lean on me for advice, suggestions, or just a soundboard to make sure that they're in the right place. So yeah. it's, a, it's a, something that is coming out more and more now, but definitely I want to be um, seen as a leader and a, a big mentor in the industry yeah. and um, within Prevalgo. What about um, sort of mistakes that you've learned? Are you, are you a bit of a believer that people need to make their own mistakes going forward? Or do you, is there a case of if you can teach them how to not make the same mistakes you did? Yeah, I think... Um, the best way to learn typically is make a mistake. Right. Um, without my, throughout my career, um, I've definitely made mistakes and learned from them. Um, Do you get promoted to make mistakes? Are you encouraged to make your mistakes? I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're encouraged to try and put yourselves out there. I think if you if you create a culture where everyone's scared to make a mistake, you're going to just be one other another broker or another foreign exchange business. I think the reason we have grown and we are um, such a good sort of um, projection as a, as a company is because we aren't scared to challenge the norm and we're not scared to put ourselves out there to get comments, uh, questions, pushback. We're there to do it. But the most important thing is when we fail, when we make mistakes, we make them together and then we learn from them and then you'll never see them happen, happen again. There's no repeat mistakes. So I think it's critical to let people um, put themselves out there and fail because that's how you learn and develop as a business. And that is only good things for our clients because we're um, changing the way that they're, they're currently getting serviced and their, okay. their solutions. Okay, all right. So obviously, we, we, you know, the changing world that we, we can see that's directly happened in the last sort of 18 months. Um, there's a, there's a bigger picture to that that's going on in the background. Obviously, foreign currency is something that's, that's um, at the forefront of a lot of international businesses, obviously. Um, but in the last few years, the, the crypto market seems to have grown massively. Um, do you see that encroaching in the foreign exchange market? Do you see it being a replacement for the foreign exchange market? So, um, apart from sort of the relative 
headline reading that I've done on crypto. I'm not massively into the the movement as say. Um, I think the technology behind um, the crypto blockchain Ethereum, because Ethereum is the actual token you can purchase, mm-hmm. I believe, on websites. So that's like the payment engine of it all. I think those um, processes or tech is really, really interesting. I think you, you've seen a surge in sort of open banking, which we've now got on our platform. So clients don't even need to leave our platform before they pay for a transaction so they can clog in, make a pay, make a trade and pay it away from their own bank mm-hmm. in our platform, which um, is open banking, which I think you'll see more of the movement to blockchain, Ethereum, those types of things. Okay. I don't... I don't see uh, people buying their goods or paying their sh- freight cost or um, paying their supplies in China and Bitcoin because I think the currency is too unstable and it's too sort of retail and too much um, fluctuation in the price you just can't manage it but, where do you think the drive in the prices come from in crypto is it, is it just supply demand is it what's your opinion of that uh, I think everyone was probably sitting at home uh, in lockdown and uh, thought I've got an extra 200 pounds I want to buy some crypto and become a millionaire overnight so um, right. I think it, everyone's getting a little bit excited and got cabin fever and thought it was a fun thing to do I don't I can't see any fundamental reason why Bitcoin went to 60 odd thousand dollars and now it's back down to 34 I mean or for, I think it's even lower than that so um, I think that's just sheer boredom and people seeking excitement well, when, when the stability down. comes and it may well come what with banking yeah. coins coming to the market so and so forth do you think that um is, is there too much of a security risk behind being able to move those type of funds around without question? Is that uh, going to be that will be a problem of a business, surely? Yeah, all. yeah, correct. I think what one of the um, big movements in the industry, which also crypto is pushing, is uh, compliance. Um, at Prevalgo, we have from the moment we launched, we had championed compliance. People previously and people in the industry still see it as a nuisance and part of sort of a way to do business. We are. The complete opposite, we're compliance first and make sure that we're championing it. So with that, it gives us the opportunity that if we wanted to and crypto comes into a place where we could potentially look at doing um, or start executing or making payments in crypto coins, um, we would be able to do it uh, carefully and, and on the right side because our compliance infrastructure and processes and um, culture is so strong that I think we would be able to do the right type of business in crypto. However, I don't, I don't see it um, being a sort of big conversation for many, many years now. Okay, that compliance thing um, that obviously you speak quite um, positively about within the within the within the business itself. Does that give you a peace of mind that when you're talking to clients that we're always going to do the right thing by them? Definitely. So I, I think. Um, the industry, as I said, one of the frustrations is proving you're not just another foreign exchange broker that's trying to sell something to a client. We um, champion compliance, and the reason we do that is because we know, one, that gives security to us personally, so that we're not going to be um, sort of crossing any lines or getting in any trouble with the regulators. And also, more importantly, it gives security to our clients, the fact that we're not uh, here today and gone tomorrow. We're going to be probably one of the biggest names within the foreign exchange industry. When people think of it, they are going to think of Prevalgo in the future okay. and it's going to go hand in hand with the um, industry. So I think the way that we champion our compliance culture, um, if you speak to anyone internally, 
they know the compliance rules and how to process and what's good and what's bad from sort of cold callers, settlements, supplier, um, uh, compliance, uh, tech, whoever it may be, whatever department, everyone knows the compliance control culture and what's expected of us. So they've been a big part from day one, the compliance? Yeah, day one. And I think that's why we got really, um, as a as new startup in the, in the foreign exchange and the EMI, uh, you don't often get sort of tier one counterparties. Okay. Typically, they're not interested. It's too high risk and not enough reward. I think the way that we positioned ourselves to be um, so compliant and or champion compliance really that's the reason we were able to secure and attract really really good tier one high street banks okay. and to support us on our growth before we'd even started and i think that's a real rarity and that's something that we should be really proud of and our clients are really proud of as well with us okay talk me through the the emi side of the business because obviously that's that's not a common thing within the foreign currency world, is it? A, a company, certainly of our size, is it actually an EMI? No, so typically um, when, when you're going into the foreign exchange industry, you have um, a couple of routes to market. Firstly, there's a white label solution, which is you um, reskin a regulatory or another EMI basically and mm-hmm. use their tech. Now, I think your the services you can offer and the difference you can make and really um, show value to the clients are limited when you do that. So that was never of in question. So we got left with two options and the business plan was getting put together. We had um, an API, which is an authorised payment institution, okay. which um, we could have gone for and which is a much, uh, or the, oh, the, the outlay to get an API is um, slimmer than it would be for an EMI. Okay. But the reason we did an EMI, which is an electronic money institution, it gave us a really good opportunity to service clients and give them all the protections they need at the highest level that we can possibly get without going for a banking license. Okay. Um, so electronic money institution gives us um, a really good uh, safeguarding policy and security for our clients, meaning they can hold credit with us or hold value and store value with us in their uh, account or e-wallets at Prevalgo and then they're totally ring-fenced from our own PL balance sheet. So if the worst case ever did play out and Prevalgo went into administration, their funds are um, protected under the EMI scheme okay. and they would get returned back from our, our counterparties to where we safeguard. So right. okay. um, it was a big decision to make for a startup. It's really, really expensive to get it and it's a long process and uh, I'm glad we've done it. And I think um, we've got a great relationship with the regulators and we're championing any change they want. Um, so. Okay. We're proud of the EMI status. So, does that make Provalgo one level down from a bank? Is the next is the next step up to being a, a digital bank? Is that the idea? Uh, yeah. So we um, obviously there's not many new banks that ever get added or get banking licenses, um, especially UK banking license. They're, they're um, tremendously tough to get, and that's for good reason because we want to protect the consumer, uh, which we're all for. Um, so EMI was the highest level of accreditation we could receive and get um, without sort of trying to become a bank straight away. Um, I think we've got really, really big aspirations for the business. So who knows, we might be one of the first sort of FX brokers to go to EMI to become a fully licensed UK bank, but we'll, we'll see our journey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask Dan Biggs, he's ready to do it now. So um, Fair enough. It's, uh, it's definitely on the roadmap, but we'll see how, how it plans out. Okay. Now, obviously, that's, that's big plans for Pavalgo. Um, and obviously the right trajectory to get us there. But with you personally, where do you see yourself 
you know, without wanting to ask the, 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 the question of where do you see yourself in five years' time, but I suppose yeah. where do you see yourself in five years' time? What's, the, what's um, your next steps? Uh, my next steps, I really, really concentrate on, uh, at the moment, we are running at a really, really good um, growth rate. So I want to ensure that I'm a key player to continue that growth. Mm-hmm. I think as we get bigger and bigger, I'm going to continue to champion that we keep the flat um, structure. There's no hierarchy. Everyone can call and challenge each other. Okay. Um, I think that's really important. We don't want to lose the culture within the um, in or within the business. Just because we sure, that's got to come with size a little bit. I mean, it has to. Yeah, it does. Scale too big. But I think if we if we all if we all aware of it and very honest about when it does happen, you can deliver it. I think okay. I think a lot of people get sort of starry eyes within the industry. We've seen lots of players grow really quickly and then. Uh, sort of grow too quick almost and lose what made them really successful so I want to be able to say in five years time that I've championed that and secured that I also want to be in a place where um, as a business I'm, I'm leading and whether that looks like CEO role who knows I might have to fight a few people for it <laughs> but uh, whether that looks like that or it just looks in a place where I've got to continue to deliver a service to all my clients, I don't think it would be day to day services. I see myself moving away more into a leadership role. Okay, but um, who knows? I mean, the, the growth and potential is endless. Yeah, if we become a bank, there's going to be a lot of responsibilities to run in a bank, so uh, a lot to learn. But it's going to be exciting. Do you, do you actively educate yourself in the different areas of the business? Because obviously, you put on your sales, yeah, um, and there are so many different facets to the business. Do you, do you actively? sort of educate yourself through the tech side of things and payments and and, and, um, and all those other things that go on to make the business the business. Yeah, I, I'd be really confident to say, near, not just speaking about myself, but really confident to say mostly or near enough any employee in this business, whether they be admin, back office, front office, wherever they are, they would be able to talk very, very well and very knowledgeable about any aspect of the business. Right. And that, that gives us real stability and growth potential because if it came down to talking about our great tech stack and our, our tech team, I mean, they've, they've done a tremendous job at the offering that we've got already okay. um, in such a short amount of time. I think it's crazy what we've delivered and it's brilliant, but I'd be really confident I could talk from start to finish about the tech stack and I'm pretty confident if you ask um, our head of IT, Sam, who's brilliant, if you ask him to talk about the sales process and how we help corporate or private clients, he would be able to deliver a really um, articulate uh, summary of it. So yeah. I think that's something that we're, we're really proud of. Yeah, I mean, I, I see one of the USPs of the business being transparency. Yeah, that obviously seems like it's relayed across all the different platforms, and the, and the fact that the business is completely transparent to one another. So anybody yeah. can not necessarily get involved, but they can certainly see what other departments are doing. Um, that's obviously got to have a great impact on how we can actually push ourselves forward. Definitely. If, if you've got everyone in a place where they understand what's going on in the business, better ideas are created and you change the way that the normal um, has been playing out within the industry. I think uh, as a company, transparency is something we're really, really proud of. So mm-hmm. transparency on pricing. No one in the industry, very few people tell their client what they charge. And, right. and declare it we declare it and show our clients what we're charging them because we want to justify justify our revenue and show them why it's worthwhile yeah. and so we don't hide away from that and also we don't hide away from good bad or ugly in terms of internal communication if there's something going on in the business we tell everyone and everyone's on the same page there's no sort of 
secrets between senior management. Everyone is in the know so that we can go through it together. So I think that's um, a big one. Trans- transparency and loyalty is what, what, what we um, try and push externally and internally. Okay, all right. Well, I, I think from all those points that you've mentioned, I think there's lots for people to digest and, uh, and think about. I just wanted to touch on a, ter- a personal basis thing for, for a moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, outside of work, I believe you, you've uh, got a partner. Yeah. Um, okay, and I, I believe, um, how does that, how has it impacted with the hours that you have to work and working from home and all those sort of things? How has that impacted home life? So, um, she's, she's brilliant. I've been, been with my partner about nine years now. And um, when I left the old business where I was having a successful career and said, I'm not going to work, I'm going to stay unpaid for nine months, 12 months, whilst we build a business that is going to be built between these guys. You've met Dan, you've met Matt, you've met Seb, you've met Rich. And I said, we've got a great idea. We're going to go to market and we're going to do it ourselves again. Uh, she wasn't, she thought I was mad, but she um, supported it and backed it and thought as a team like that, you, you can near enough not be successful when there's so much talent within involvement. Um, so personally, she, she understands the um, the good and the bad that comes with the job. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of late nights working, a lot of late nights clients and sort of, um, having to take clients out and uh, spend some time with them personally over a bit of dinner or lunch. She understands that's part of the role, but um, she's, she's in real um, support of it. And the good thing is she champions Bravalgo just like she's one of the employees or she's a shareholder of the business. So I Brilliant. think that's a really good thing. And um, I think you could probably say the same for most external yeah. partners or uh, families. Everyone wears Bravalgo g my brother, whenever he's on a golf course, he's pestering me for about two years for a golf <laughs> uh, for a Provalgo Gilet. So when he plays golf, he's um, Provalgoed up. So I think everyone loves the, the schmutter that we push do now. Yeah, yeah, push the ground out, and everyone's championing it. So it's brilliant to see Excellent. it all come to life, basically. Yeah, I just wanted to also ask you as well because I know that you're um, you've got a, a charity that's quite close to your heart. Um, uh, via home, but yeah. it's going to too many detail. I just wanted you to give me a bit of a a lowdown on the charity um, that you're you're quite close to. Yeah, so um, I'm. We try and uh, I mean, Provalgo support lots of lots of charities. Personally, I've got a charity called PSC, which is um, something that my partner got diagnosed with in December, okay. which was sort of out of the blue. It's um, an autoimmune disease, which basically uh, works away and sort of it's too when your immune system's too strong, it fights your liver. Okay. Um, so we went through that journey and it's just a charity that because it's so rare to disease that it's really, really un, um, undervalued or not, well, it's not supported enough basically because so it's, it's not in the, in the, it's the underfunded line, because yeah. it's not, it's not a big enough um, audience. So that's the um, charity that we support. So we do lots of that. Uh, we try and raise money for it, but again, it's part of the life and at Provalgo during that time, uh, even though it was sort of December, it meant to be a festive period, the whole business wrapped around when we were going through a bit of a tougher time and we, we sort of got through it together and she she felt that as well um, okay. through it. So it's brilliant and the charity, the charitable work we do um, is definitely recognised uh, as a real importance within the business. And again, that was actually in the initial business plan. One of the first things we said is we've got to make sure we're, we're doing charitable work and not just... Um, working for an exchange and making payments and dealing with clients we've got to go and make sure we're, we're doing our thing for the world okay excellent it's more than just about the shareholders and making money yes excellent I like that okay well thank you very much for today Aaron it's been no, brilliant to have you on and um, thank you for your time 
and um, I'll let you go for the afternoon. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Greg. Take care. Cheers. Thank you.